Hello and welcome. My name is Adam Kellis and I'm the curate here and welcome to everyone who's watching on the live stream and it is a joy to be with you here this, uh, this sunny, sunny Sunday. And um, if there's one way to make a curate quake, it is start a series on the minor prophets when your boss is away. Um, so we hit Joel last week, which was heavy, and we're now hitting Nahum this week, which is heavy, but in the heaviness there is joy. Um, and as we come to God's good word for us today, let us come in prayer. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, we ask, Father, please, may we be men and women who are wise, who hear your word, believe your word, and build our lives upon the rock which is your word, so that when the storms do come, this house does stand. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you ever feel like a bird trapped in a cage? Do you ever feel like a bird trapped in a cage? There is a remarkable bit of writing by the king of Assyria. He has invaded Israel and he is besieging Jerusalem. And in this remarkable account from his perspective of this invasion, he talks about Hezekiah, the king of Jerusalem, who is being besieged. And he says, Hezekiah is a bird trapped in a cage. And imagine this from Hezekiah's perspective, from the perspective of the bird. It is enemy at the gate territory. It is the great empire of the day has come. They have come and they have, like a storm, ridden across your land, besieged town after town after town, and they seem unstoppable. Have you ever felt like a bird trapped in a cage? Maybe for us it can feel different rather than the enemy at the gate. It could be the devil. He just wants to slay us. Or maybe it can feel like your sin which just wants to corrupt you. Have you ever felt that? I have. It feels like it's just going to drag me down to the pit. Or even in our, in our day and age and in this, this moment, this secular moment which we exist in, where the narrative is very much the church is for yesterday and Christianity is for yesterday and the future is, 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 does not need the voice of Christ. And we can hear that, that secular voice which just feels so loud on Twitter and on TikTok, on YouTube and in the media and it just can feel so overwhelming. Like the enemy is at the gate and has won and we are the, the story of yesterday. So as we live within this moment with the sin, the devil, and the secular age at our door, well, what does God have to say to us here today? Well, actually, as we land today, we land in Nahum. Now, if you have a Bible, I'll keep it open because we're going to be doing a bit of an overview of the whole book. So we'll be flicking around a little bit. But Nahum, we don't quite exactly know um, when it was written, the exact date, but we do know... Uh, quite a bit about the time. We know that Assyria is the enemy of Israel and Assyria seems unstoppable. Assyria has come and they have brought a huge army and invaded the northern kingdom 
and they have uh, taken away the northern kingdom and placed them all into exile. We know that Assyria has come, flattened poor Israel, and has marched through and taken on Egypt. We know from the context of Nahum that they have taken on Thebes, this great military stronghold in Egypt, and they have won. We know that Assyria seems all-powerful and in total control, and it feels like Israel just hasn't got a chance. We know it's around the 600 sort of BC sort of time. So that's the context of this prophet, Nahum, and in this, these words which we have. And as we delve into these words, we realize that this is a prophet, prophecy which is directed quite strongly at Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And yet even though 90% of the words are directed towards Nineveh, the, the audience of these words are Israel, are Jerusalem. And actually these are words which when you have an enemy at the gate, bring great comfort. They're words which bring comfort. And the firstly we see as an overview of Nahum, why these words bring comfort is because the Lord will pursue his enemies into the realm of darkness. Let's look through. Chapter 1, verse 12. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. The Lord is jealous. Now, immediately we hear that word jealous, and we think, isn't jealousy a bad thing? Isn't our Lord, who is defined by his goodness and his love, why on earth would he be jealous? Well, jealousy is a bad thing if you are jealous of something which is not yours, but jealousy is a good thing, a right thing, if you are jealous of something which is. And the Lord is rightly jealous for his people and for the good of his people. Thus, those who mistreat his people, his, the enemies of his people, those who do great wickedness against his people, he is rightly jealous against them, and will bring his justice upon them. If we were to leave this place and we saw wicked deeds enacted in front of us, an innocent people, someone innocent getting uh, beaten up, or we read in the headlines on the BBC News or in the papers about great atrocities that can happen across the world or in our own nation, what is the immediate response? What is the thing that we want when we hear of great atrocities? We want justice. We don't want wicked and evil people to be able to get away with wicked and evil deeds. We want justice. And so rarely in this, in this small and limited life which we live do we get to see that justice enacted. And yet here we discover that God will enact this justice. The Lord will enact his justice and will put vengeance on all his enemies, all who do great and wicked deeds. Now, the majority of Nahum, it is sort of aimed at Nineveh, at these enemies of the Lord's people. And at first, he's telling them, well, you've got to get ready, Nineveh. You've got to get yourselves ready, because this judgment is coming. Chapter 2, verse 1. An attacker advances against you, Nineveh. Guard the fortress. Watch the road. Brace yourselves. Marshal all your strength. An attacker is coming. But actually, you've got to get yourselves ready, but it's not going to do you any good. Chapter 2, verse 5. He summons his picked troops, yet they stumble on their way. They dash to the city wall. The protective shield is put in place. 
Yet the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. It is decreed that the city be exiled and carried away. Its slave girls moan like doves and beat upon their breasts. Nineveh is like a pool and its water is draining away. Stop, stop, they cry, but no one turns back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. The supply is endless, the wealth from all its treasures. She is pillaged, plundered, stripped. Hearts melt, knees give way, bodies tremble. Every face grows pale. Why does a face grow pale? Because you're terrified. Nineveh is a great lake and it is draining away. Get ready, Nineveh. Your judgment is coming. Your judgment is coming. And in the context of hearing about this judgment, we hear what can only be the most terrifying words you could ever hear the Lord God say to you. These are the most terrifying words you could ever hear the Lord God say to you. Chapter 2, verse 13. I am against you, declares the Lord. I am against you, declares the Lord Almighty. I will burn up your chariots and smoke, and the sword will devour your young lions. I will leave you no prey on the earth. The voice of your messengers will no longer be heard. And as chapter 3 then goes on, this this attitude of chapter 2 just continues, really. Chapter 3, verse 1. Woe to the city of blood, full of lies, full of plunder, never without victim. And as we look at the historical records, we see that Nineveh, Assyria, they are a city of blood, an empire of blood. After the first uh, service at 9 a.m. here, Pam, who's a military historian, came up to me and she said, Adam, the very first paper I ever wrote was on the Assyrian Empire. And you would compare them to the Nazis. Because when they invaded somewhere, they burnt it. They burnt it and they burnt the people. They were cruel and they were tyrants and they were wicked. Woe to this city of blood. It is never without victims. Woe to Nineveh. The evil they have done so many will be done on them. And then to close the book, we hear these words spoken to the king of Assyria, showing the misery of their situation. The close, chapter 3, verse 18. O king of Assyria, your shepherds slumber, your nobles lie down to rest, your people are scattered on the mountains, with no one to gather them. Nothing can heal your wounds. Your injury is fatal. Everyone who hears the news about you claps his hands at your fall. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? Everyone rejoices at the fall of Nineveh. For who has not felt their endless cruelty? And did you um, notice chapter 3 verse 19? It ends with a question. For who has not felt your endless cruelty? A little bit of Bible trivia. Do you know which other Bible book ends with a question? There's only one other Bible book that ends with a question. Any any ideas? And what's fascinating is that this book has everything to do with Nineveh. Jonah ends with a question. It's a few um, pages forwards in your Bibles. It goes Jonah, Micah, Nahum. But right at the end there, Jonah chapter 4, 
Here's the question of Jonah chapter 4. And this is the Lord God speaking to the prophet Jonah when Jonah does not want to show mercy to Nineveh and does not want the Lord to show mercy to Nineveh. This is chapter 4, verse 11. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And here we see in Jonah that the Lord God is concerned for this great city, Nineveh. And he has been so concerned that he has sent his prophet, Jonah, to take the message of repentance to Nineveh. And this great miracle, it seems, when we read it, this great miracle is that that Nineveh repents. And Jonah is angry about that. But Nineveh repents. And yet, as we feel this context, Nineveh hearing Jonah's message repenting, and then it's around 100 years-ish between Nineveh, between Jonah and Nahum. And we hear about Nineveh repenting. And then we see this history of cruelty and blood and wickedness. And we see how they are now treating the Lord's people. We realize that actually the situation is even worse. Because Nineveh had the opportunity to hear and to repent. And they repented. But it didn't provide any fruit. It didn't take root. It didn't last This repentance in Jonah didn't last and they became these cruel and wicked and evil tyrants and thus their cruelty and their wickedness makes it even worse because they should have known better. They'd experienced the Lord's compassion. They should have known better. But as we hear about Nineveh, about Assyria, about the Lord's enemies. And as we hear that the Lord God will will drive them into darkness for all the wicked deeds which they have done, as we're hearing about all this, we realise that this is a message which is being given to the Israelites. It is the Israelites who are hearing and comprehending that the Lord God will drive his enemies into the darkness. And within hearing about how the Lord will bring judgment, we're hearing about a dual verdict which occurs within Nahum. Because as the Lord God brings judgment, the Lord God is also bringing peace. There's this dual verdict. Because the Lord God will be a refuge for those who trust in him. And that's the second part of the message of Nahum. The Lord God will pursue his enemies into darkness and the Lord God will bring peace to those who trust in him. He is a refuge for those who trust in him. Look down with me, chapter 1, verse verse 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire. The rocks are shattered before him. That's the great question, isn't it? When you hear about the Lord God pursuing his enemies into the darkness, well, who can survive? Who can, who can stand? Well, chapter 1, verse 7. The Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. But with, an everla- but with an overwhelming flood, he will make an end of Nineveh. He will pursue his foes into the darkness. In the midst of judgment, pursuing his enemies into the darkness, there is salvation for all who trust in the Lord God. He is a refuge. He is a stronghold. He is that place of safety. Chapter 1, verse 15. Look, there on the mountains, 
the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. Celebrate your festivals, O Judah, and fulfill your vows. No more will the wicked invade you. They will be completely destroyed. See, this message of, of, of judgment upon Nineveh is at the same time, this dual verdict, a message of peace upon Judah. Suddenly, this messenger who comes to say Nineveh will be destroyed is the same messenger who comes to bring peace and to say, Judah, you will be saved and you will be safe. When we look at rain, it can have a dual function, a dual verdict. And we've seen that over the last few weeks, haven't we? As the rain comes tumbling down, well, it, rain can bring a flood. It can be terrible. It can be a, bring a flood and it can bring destruction. But that same rain can be beautiful because the rain falls and then the crops grow and then we can be fed. The same rain can bring destruction and can bring feeding. It can be bad and it can be good. The same verdict can do both. And for those who are in and who trust the Lord God, well then the Lord God is a shelter from the rain. He's a shelter from the judgment. And he becomes that place of warmth and of safety. And as we sort of look over all of Nahum, well what's the, the big point of these three chapters? Why does the Lord God give us this book? And why do we study it thousands of years later? Well I think the Lord God is telling us that he will drive his enemies into the darkness as he offers refuge to his people. He will drive his enemies into the darkness as he offers refuge to his people. And as we read the book of uh, Nahum and we think, okay, how are we meant to apply this to our day and age, to Sidcup, to the 21st century? Well, I've always found it quite helpful that there's a way of sort of reading Old Old Testament prophecies and it's sort of thinking about them uh, in, in peaks, they're sort of peaks of fulfillment. They're f- partially fulfilled at different times. Now, these three sort of peaks, they sort of make sense with uh, a climbing sort of metaphor. You probably, everyone's had that experience of going climbing in, in the Lake District or in Wales or in Scotland. And especially when you're, when you're young and you haven't climbed many a mountain and you're climbing up a mountain and you think, oh, I'm doing so well, I've made it to the top, only to realize that you haven't quite made it, you've just made it to the first peak. You know, oh, it's all right, and so you go down a little bit, then you continue to go up, and you then make it to the second peak. Then you go down a little bit, continue to make up, and you go up, and you finally make it to the final peak, and you enjoy the beautiful view. Well, Old Testament prophecy, if we think about it in the, through these lenses of these three sort of peaks, it sort of helps us to apply it to our day and age. So the first peak which we reach it's how that Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled in Old Testament times to the Jewish people. The second peak is how it is fulfilled with the, the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third peak is how it is fulfilled when Jesus will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. So how is this Old Testament prophecy of Nahum fulfilled in this first peak for the Jewish people in Old Testament times? Well, if we look through our history, we will see that this great nation of Assyria, it does not always survive, it has not survived as this great empire. And actually, we read that within this empire of Assyria, all centered around Nineveh, there is another great city under this empire called Babylon, and Babylon revolts and leads this revolution, becomes this great army, and defeats Assyria. 
and they bring about a serious end. And so we see that this, in, this prophecy of Nahum is fulfilled in this first peak with Assyrian's destruction to Babylon. But actually, the rest of Scripture shows us how the rest of Nahum is fulfilled with the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because within the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we experience this double verdict of judgment and of peace. We experience this double verdict of judgment and of peace because the words of Nahum are caught up by the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul um, uses the words of Nahum, chapter 1, verses 15. Look, there on the mountains, the feet of one who brings good news, who proclaims peace. And actually, when we read in Romans, we hear Paul using this language of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 15, of these messengers of peace. And now these messengers of peace are being applied to gospel proclaimers. Those who bring the gospel are the individuals who bring this message of peace, who bring this double verdict. This message of, of peace for all who trust in the Lord Jesus and this message of judgment for all who don't. And as we look at the cross, we see this double verdict again. We see the reign of, of God's judgment being poured down on the Lord Jesus as he dies for his people. We see God's wrath and his anger being poured out upon Christ. But as it is being poured out upon Christ, he becomes the shelter for his people. He becomes a place of safety and refuge so that all who trust in him will be safe. This double verdict of peace and of judgment is seen in Jesus. This double verdict of peace and of judgment is heard on the lips of all who proclaim the gospel. So that is how this prophecy is fulfilled in the time of Jesus. But then we will see that this prophecy again will be fulfilled in the final in the last days, when Jesus comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Because as Jesus comes again in glory, he will again be the place of refuge for all who trust in him. And when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead, everyone who trusts in him will find their names written in the book of life. But all his enemies, those who are at war against his people, well, they will experience his judgment. This double verdict of peace and judgment will occur all at the same time. But as we look at this great prophecy with sort of these multiple sort of fulfillments, how does this apply to us? How does this apply to us today here in Sidcup? Well, do you ever feel like a bird trapped in a cage and there's a lion about to devour you? Do you ever feel like a bird trapped in a cage with a lion about to devour you? Because the lion is the great symbol of uh, Assyria. And actually there's lots of languages in Nahum of, of how the lion is going to be brought down. And actually we can look out at the enemies of the gate and think that there's a lion just about to devour us. It might be that it's, it's the devil and we just hear his whispering lies and we can hear him whispering in our ears just saying, you know what, you're not a real Christian, are you? You're not a real Christian. You know, if everyone around here knew what you said and what you did and who you were and how you acted, oh, you, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't consider you one of their brothers and sisters. You're not a real Christian. And we, and we can hear the devil's just lies whispering in our ears and we're like, oh, I just feel so overwhelmed by that. Or, or we can just feel that, that sin is just 
just knocking at our door and it's just, getting, it's just about to corrupt us. It's like being offered to us this great, this great fruit and we know that if we, that if we eat it, we know it will cause ourselves pain and we know it will cause the people around us hurt. We know it goes against God's holy law and his holy way and yet we want to take a bite and we want to eat it because our desire is so just strong for it. We know it will corrupt us and yet we still want it. Do you ever feel like that enemy's at the gate and sin is just going to pull you down? Like you're a bird in a cage? Or in our secular age, in this non-Christian world which we seem to exist in, we can feel engulfed, can't we? If we hear about more TikTok stars and Twitter stars and Instagram stars and YouTube stars just ripping the church apart, just saying the most cruel and wicked things against the Lord Jesus Christ, just feels like, oh, are we just the people of yesterday? Is this just the good news of yesterday? What's our relevance for today? And it's like, oh, has the enemy won? Have we got any hope? Well, the message of Nahum and the good news of words of comfort when you feel the enemy is at the gate and you're a bird trapped in a cage is God says to all his enemies, I am against you. The Lord God says to all his enemies, I am against you. He is against the devil and his whispering lies. And at the cross of Christ, that devil was defeated and the power of death was taken. He has no strength anymore. He can whisper in our, in our ears, but he has no hold over, over us when we go and find refuge in the cross. He is a he says to sin, which feels like it's going to corrupt us, I am against you. I am against you. And our sin, which has ruined us and wrecked us, it was defeated once and for all at the cross, and it was washed, and it was cleansed, and it was forgiven, and it was done, and it was dealt with, and it is final, and it is finished, and it is over. It is over. It is done. That's not who we are anymore. We are, we are at peace with our Father in heaven. We are under his protection. We're in that place of warmth and of safety and security. We know his refuge and his love. And our secular age, which mocks and ridicules the Lord Jesus Christ, well, the Lord God says, I am against you. And all these Twitter and TikTok stars, we should pity them. We should pity them because one day they will meet this God they mock. One day they will see him face to face and they will know his judgment. So we should pity them and we should pray for them and we should mourn for them so that they may come to know the one who is and was and who always will be. The Lord God says to them, I am against you. And as we hear this thundering voice from heaven, which the most terrifying word you could ever hear, I am against you, Nahum is also telling to us, to all who believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord, Nahum is telling us that you are safe under his shelter. You are warm and you are dry and you are secure. You are safe in this refuge against the storm of his judgment. And nothing, no devil, no demon, 
No man, no woman, no sin, nothing can ever separate you from his love. Let's pause for a moment and reflect on God's word. And then I'll close in prayer. Dearest God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you see and you know all. You see and you know every wicked deed and every evil act. And we thank you that you are a just and a good God. And you will bring your justice down on all those who are wicked and cruel throughout every age and every time. We praise you for that. And we thank you, Father God, that you have slain your enemies and you are driving them into the darkness. You have beaten sin and you have beaten the devil. We praise you for that. That we who believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ are safe and secure. We praise you for that. In his glorious name. Amen.